Thank you, Pastor Leon. And congregation, thank you so much for uh, all of the, all the love. Uh, I didn't even know it was Pastor's Appreciation Month. Sometimes you just get, get going and then you're reminded. And it's uh, good to be in a, a part of a body that uh, reminds its pastors that um, we're people too. And uh, we were made not only for the encouragement of God, but the encouragement from the saints. So love you guys deeply. And I'm excited to preach the word this morning. So I don't want to waste any time. So if you would, grab your Bibles and meet me in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, page 1378 of your pew Bibles. I looked that up, so Tasha and uh, Kyle like that. Appreciate that. Shout out. Uh, we're going to be in verses 13 through 16, Matthew chapter 5. When you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor. All right, all right. <clears throat> this is the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the reading of God's word, and before we consider it, let's go to him and ask him to illuminate the word to us. Father, this is your word, not ours. So may we know that we are on holy ground. For your word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Would you take your holy, living and active word and do just that with it this morning? In our hearts, mine included, because, Lord, our life depends on it. So speak to us, and may the word come forth from our lips to others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Well, when Monica and I lived in Memphis, before moving here a year and a half ago, getting the call to be an associate pastor of Mac Avenue Community Church, I was proud and Though it was a challenge and all the rest, uh, we are glad we're here. But we used to, uh, uh, if, if, you're, if you're, you know, you're not familiar with Memphis, um, got a lot of similarities between Memphis and Detroit. But uh, there's this, uh, this street a couple blocks from where Monica and I stayed in South Memphis. 
And uh, you could call that, we call this the hot block because a lot of gang violence and uh, trap houses and all the rest. And yet, I was burdened for the street. So Monica knows that, uh, you know, I'm a little bit crazy. So I, I've been known to do some things that get her a little bit worried, you know, from time to time. She might have to shoot Pastor Leon a text. He went for a walk, Pastor. Have you seen him? Maybe that'll come sometime. But anyways, I'm walking one morning, 530 in the morning, on my normal walk routine with the dog. I got my dog, Mac. And I'm spending some time with the Lord, and all of a sudden I sense the Lord say, I want you to go down to Seattle Street. I said, Lord, are you sure? Let me just keep walking. So I make it to the end of the block, and it gets stronger and stronger. So I said, okay, here goes nothing. So I walk down to Seattle Street, and I cut a right. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you before, but, like, if you ever walked down a street and you could just feel the darkness, like it was like a, a wet blanket got thrown over me, a damp, wet blanket. And and my dog, Mac, was letting me know, like, I'm on point right now. Like, come out, come out at me. What's up? He was letting me know. So I know when he gets a little off the chains, I'm like, okay, I like that about you because you're ready. You got to be ready sometimes. So we're walking down the street and you know, street lights were out, so it was extra dark. I get about halfway down the street, and I hear, hey, baby, hey, now, hey, baby. And I turn around, I say, who in the heck is out here? Is that you, Lord? What is going on? And and it's this lady in a bonnet, and she's got her, her robe on, and she's running up to me, and, hey, baby, what's your, what's your name? And we're talking, and next thing you know, we talked for like 20 minutes at 5.30 in the morning in the middle of the hood. Like, have you ever done that? That just don't happen because folks aren't out at that time of morning. Feel me? So we're just talking, and I, I just had to tell you, like, like something came over me during that moment and told me, like, like you're supposed to be here right now. And you know what? I usually don't have holy thoughts like that at 5.30 in the morning. But we're talking, and she exchanges numbers with me, and I tell her, you know, I want to introduce you to uh, my wife, Monica, and she's like, oh, yeah, baby, definitely bring her down and get to know get to know me and my husband, RJ, and all the rest. So I walk home, joy in my heart, because I knew I had heard from the Lord. Monica, on the, on the other hand, didn't know I heard from the Lord, right? She was like, I don't know. You better check, your, check the script. I need to check the scriptures on that to see if, you know, you really did hear from the Lord. No, she was cool. But friends, like probably three or four weeks later, I come home. I'm like usual, like bolt of energy comes through me. Hey, sweetie, let's, let's stop what we're doing and go walk, walk, walk down to uh, Seattle Street. I want to introduce you to Miss Sandy. I got a feeling they're outside right now. Sure enough, they're outside drinking, smoking weed. Some guys are shooting dice over here. You know, all kinds of stuff like happening on this block. But but the Lord zoomed us in on Miss Sandy. So we talked to Miss Sandy for like 
five, ten minutes. Next thing you know, an hour goes by. Two hours go by. It's getting darker and darker outside. So we're just like, all right, we doing this thing. We fall on on Seattle Street. So, so we kick it a little longer. And next thing you know, I hear, I see this dark shadow coming towards me. And my, my dog just pulls me over. And this guy is standing in a hoodie, making eye contact with me at this point. Walks up a little bit closer. My dog growls at him. And he pulls a gun out on me. Right off the waistline, just pointed right at me. And friends, this has never happened to me before because I've been in gun violence. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been in gun violence situations before. Gets me a little emotional. But a calmness came over me like you wouldn't believe. And before I could even de-escalate the situation, Miss Sandy comes from behind me. Oh, boy, put that gun down. Don't be putting that gun down. What you doing? That's my son. He be doing crazy stuff all the time. Get in the house. I said, thank you, Lord, for Miss Sandy. You know, friends, Seattle Street became one of our main places of ministry. And it started with a walk at 530 in the morning. But God said you had the ear that morning to hear. Had we not went, I don't know. Maybe God would have sent somebody, somebody else, but we knew he was sending us for such a time as that. And what God did during that season, through all the ministry we were doing, but particularly our time on Seattle Street, is he pressed a truth deep in our hearts a little more. And it's the truth that we see right here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. That the church really is God's useful tool for world renewal. Because we are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. And you are the light of the world. You see, the idea I want to speak to you from is, is this thought. The church is Jesus' useful tool for world renewal. And, you know, being that we're in an evangelism series, I got to help, I got to make some some helpful considerations of how being salt and light, how being Jesus' useful tool for world renewal it actually enhances our evangelism. It actually takes our evangelism, if it's at a five, takes it to about a nine or ten. Because salt and light creates the optimal environment for gospel seeds to be planted and given time to take root. And I want to show you there's something that supernaturally happens when a church lives as Jesus' useful tool for world renewal. So let me show you that. I want to point it out. This big idea in our text, Jesus has a way of putting it. And he does it through two powerful affirmations. And those two powerful affirmations together are saying that Jesus, in his hands, we are an agent of renewal in Jesus' tool belt. And he wants to drive this truth deep into our hearts so that the church 
lives who they already are. It's a missional identity. And you must listen to these powerful affirmations like your, wor- like your, your whole life depended on it. Because it does. And others' lives depend on it as well. So, powerful affirmation number one. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm salty. <laughs> All right, don't do it again. That was strange. <clears throat> now, we'll talk about the specifics of salt here in a moment. But for now, I just want you to notice the you in you are the salt of the earth. The you there is actually not singular, it's plural. You say, why, does it, why is it plural, Pastor K? Because this is the Sermon on the Mount. That's where these verses are found. And he's, Jesus is particularly in the introduction of his famous sermon. And in his sermon, he's not preaching to individuals. He's preaching to the church. He's preaching to Christians as a community. The Sermon on the Mount is a sermon for the church. It's a sermon for Sunday morning. And so, first and foremost, you got to know that salt is something communal. Could you ever take salt, regular table salt, and split it in half and just get one granule of salt? No, you can't, because it's all together. And so, this is precisely communal. Salt is communal. It's about the church, not about Lone Ranger individual Christians, okay? So I want to get that out of the way. But Jesus also has a UR affirmation in verse 14. Both of those are plural. And we'll get to the specifics in a moment, but for now I just want you to cap, camp out on this thought. That like a husband affirming his wife, Jesus is affirming that there is something inherently true and lovely about his bride, the church. When he looks at you, he, he's wild about you. Because not only has he redeemed you, but he transformed you into something useful. He not only redeemed you from the pit you were in in this world, but he made you something useful for the world. You see, the church is a useful people. My daughter Evie showed me what it means to be, she, she, she dust, dusted off, if I could say it like this, the idea of what it means to take something and make it useful. So my daughter Evie, she's two years old, almost two years old. She turns two in January. And Evie shows us a lot of things, but one thing we delight in with Evie when she's around is her creativity. Miss Bobby knows she'll do anything. She'll, she'll turn any household object into a toy, okay? She'll mess around and take my empty protein powder containers and turn them into stacking blocks. She'll take an empty milk carton and turn it into her favorite new toy. You see... She'll take what's worthless to Monica and I, and she'll make it worthwhile. She'll make it useful. She'll take something of no use to me and put it to good use. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so 
we're an Amazon household. I, I'm still a little bit upset about it, you know. I like the convenience, but the empty boxes drive me nuts. Because I'm just, I'm, we got a small house, so I'm walking, I'm kicking empty boxes and stuff, and people come over, they think my house is a mess. And Maybe they don't, but I think they do. Because the empty boxes are just all over the place. It's like, really? We bought this little spray from Amazon? I couldn't have went up to Walgreens and got this? Nope, nope. Convenience, convenience. But empty Amazon boxes are worthless trash to me. Maybe to you. But it always drives Monica nuts, because though they drive me nuts, it drives her nuts that I don't break them down and take them outside. Well, if you don't like them, just get rid of them. But, you know, it takes me a while to, you know, to click in. You know, Pastor, it takes, it takes some time sometimes. We're a little hard-headed, right? But anyways, Evie shows us her creativity. She will mess around and take an Amazon box, look at it for a few moments, and next thing you know, it's her new toy box. She'll take an Amazon box, stack a couple of them bad boys on each other, and sit on it like her new chair. Just kicking it, watching Rio. Like, put number two on, Dad. I already saw number one five times. Me too. So, so the other day, this girl walks in, and she's got, she's got a, a little Amazon box on her head, walking around with her new hat. She comes back around the corner. She has another Amazon box. She's having a whole conversation on the phone. I'm like, girl, if you don't slow your big roll, you, you're too young to have a cell phone. But you see, what's trash to me is Evie's treasure. You see, one man's trash could be another treasure, right? Be another man's treasure. What's worthless to me, she could take and put it to good use. And friends, if that's true of my baby girl, Evie Rose, who's almost two years old, how much more so is that true of our beloved Savior, King Jesus? There was a time where you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And can I tell you, the God of the universe came down in the person of his son, Jesus, and he grabbed you out of your own squalor, the pit of squalor you were in, called sin and death. You may have thought you were alive, but you were a walking zombie. And out of unreserved compassion, he snatched you out of the pit. And he transferred you into his kingdom. But he didn't stop there. He then transformed you. He redeemed you from the pit of the world you were in. And he transformed you as a useful tool for the world. You see, in the Beatitudes, which are the verses immediately prior to our text, Jesus blesses us with salvation. But then, right here in verses 13 through 16, Jesus makes you and I makes the church into a useful blessing for the world. You are his blessed to be a blessing people. He made us into his useful tool for world renewal. Thank you, King Jesus, that not only did you buy me with your blood, 
but you made a vessel of your finished work to the world. Amen, amen. But it's more specific than that. Because he says, you are the salt of the earth. What does he mean by salt? Yeah, I'm, I'm useful, right? But what do you, how is salt useful? Well, glad you asked. Salt is incredibly useful. You see, salt in Jesus' day was the number one mineral to have in your house. Because salt could be used for a variety of things. But the most primary use for salt in Jesus' day was as a preservative for meat. So if we want to keep our meat fresh, what do we do? We put it in the deep freezer, right? Because the deep freezer will lock the freshness into the meat. And when it locks the freshness into the meat, it tells corrosion, decay, and death, back up. In Jesus' day, they didn't have deep freezers. So they packed their meat with salt. So when they packed the meat with salt, experts say that it made it so not even corrosion, death, or decay could make its way through the salt to decay the meat. You see, the meat is dying, but the salt slows down the inescapable process of death. You see, King Jesus turned us into a kind of people that when we lock ourselves into the community through our Christian presence, we tell death and decay, back up, back up. We, I don't know how he does it, but he supernaturally, it's as if he uses the church to slow time down a little bit so that everything doesn't disintegrate in an instance. You see, family, Jesus is declaring in this text that you, the church, are to the world what salt is to meat. A useful preserving agent in Jesus' tool belt. Because although the world, ever since the fall, has been in a progressive state of physical, moral, social, and spiritual decay, Oh, friends, nevertheless, our very presence as salt in the world tells decay and death, get behind me. In other words, our very presence as salt in the world preserves it. It literally slows down the inescapable process of holistic destruction. Friends, this world has been dying ever since the fall when sin and death entered the world. So you say, okay, Pastor Kay, I'm, I might be tracking with you, but can you tell me how it looks practically? Tell me what it looks like for the church to be salt within our community. And maybe tell me a little bit about how that enhances our evangelism. There are many ways we can live as salt in the community. Many ways. But let me just tell you one way that Monica and I, let me tell you one of our, I'll call it, Bukala family salty rhythms. Can I call it that? Y'all, do y'all like to laugh? Okay, good. I just want to make sure that y'all are here. Salty rhythms. My family and I, for the past few years, um, longer than that, really, we've 
we've made it a point to allow Jesus to use us in whatever church community we were in. In particular, before we came here, we were kind of like bridge builders, okay? Living in the hood with a suburban church and trying to do that chaos, okay? And trying to build healthy bridges that last, that the gospel can do. But it's hard work. But we got to see the Lord use us as salt in the community. And uh, one of the things we brought with us from Memphis to Detroit is our family rhythm of going on walks. And I'll call it this, salting the community with loving kindness. You see, when we go on these walks, it's all about family uh, connection, but not family connection for the purpose of just family connection. Part of our family connection is being totally open to however King Jesus would delight to use us on that walk. Something mundane as a walk, okay? But not just any walk, a walk where we have Jesus's life flowing through us. Because you see, loving kindness flows from healthy loving union with Jesus. So it follows, if you have loving union with Jesus, where you're practicing his presence constantly, then you have his loving kindness flowing out of you continually. And so when Monica and I are on these walks, uh, here's, how it's, here's how it's really started for us in Detroit for the last year and a half. It started with just friendly presence. So we're walking down the street. Maybe we're on Warren. Maybe we're on Garland or Bewick or, you know, we're, 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 we're over there on Cadillac and we're cutting back up Canfield. Wherever we're at, we're always in this area. And we're just walking the dog, walking the kids, and having a good time. But we bump into neighbors. And so especially in the warmer months, in Memphis, when we would bump into neighbors, it was, what's good with it? Not what's good with it, okay? What's good with it? In Detroit, it's, what up, though? It's all one word still, you know? We just left Memphis, came to another hood. All one word. You can only do that if you're in the hood, okay? So that's block science. So anyways, we are walking and talking to neighbors, friendly presence. It starts with eye contact. It starts with friendly gestures that are genuine. And then after a couple months, you run into the same neighbors, and you begin to stop and have conversation. It's almost impossible for Monica and I to make it on a walk without stopping to talk to neighbors. It's almost impossible for Monica and I to go on a walk without somebody honking at us in a positive way. Hey, Pastor K, what's up? Stuff like that. So after I don't know how many of these walks that we take multiple times throughout the week, we've been getting to know our neighbors. And what's so unique is never underestimate what a little bit of loving kindness can do. Because, friends, in every community, I don't care if you're in the suburbs or you're in the country or you're in the middle of the hood, wherever community you're in, there's always a level of relational peace and relational brokenness and hostility and distrust. And so never underestimate what loving kindness can do because for the Fukala family, when we do this, 
eventually we've been we've been welcomed into the community as what as a friendly presence whatever block we're on we're bringing nothing but gospel peace and it's evident in the conversations we've had and in the friendships we've built but I want to tell you one in particular I just want to tell you what it's looked like maybe a little bit of fruit of what we've gotten to see so I got a neighbor named Spokane Spokane's lived in the community his whole life Spokane has a has a body shop across the street from us diagonal to our house he runs it right out of his crib and it's nothing to drive by and see Spokane knocking out dents and and, and fixing bumpers and all kinds of stuff. And Spokane, instantly, we met Spokane on one of our walks. And we started talking to Spokane, and next thing you know, we're stopped for 10 minutes, and we walk up, and Spokane's drinking his Budweiser and all that, and singing the blues. And, and it, it's about having gospel intentionality that can stand there when maybe a crackhead walks by, maybe maybe somebody walks by. Uh, it's been it's been it's been quite the experience for Monica because several times we've been standing there and somebody comes up and solicits some favors. Solicits some favors from people. Okay, I just we're all adults here, right? Okay, that happens in the hood, and you got to have gospel resilience. So we're taught you can't be so, don't be so churchy. Don't be so churchy that you can't sit there and have an organic conversation when somebody reeks of alcohol or just got done smoking a blunt, okay? So we're talking and rapping. And friends, I learned how, how deep this friendship was when I came home one day and the fence that I was trying to fix myself or pay to get done was fixed. And who fixed it? Spokane fixed it. And friends, Spokane isn't even a believer. Okay, have you ever had your fence fixed? Now, it was an east side job, okay? I'll give it that. All right, it was rigged, okay? But you didn't get your fence fixed, okay? My fence got fixed. And friends, it was just a little bit of loving kindness, just salting the community with loving kindness. You see, friends, I came home another day. My whole lot was mowed. Who was it? Spokane. I came home another day. My front yard and my lot was mowed. Who was it? Spokane. Spokane, let me give you a 50. No. No, Pastor. No, he don't even call me Pastor. He says, no, Rev. No, Rev. Get out of here with that. And I kind of like that. He calls me Rev. I, I don't mind it. When I'm doing something in the yard and Spokane hollers at me and wants to come tell me something juicy about the neighborhood, I stop what I'm doing to talk to him. You know how it is, Missy. So, friends, let me get to another point here. What's happening, really? This, the, the, the saltiness. Our, our lives aren't perfect, but we got enough Jesus in us from time to time to begin to salt Harding Block to the point where death and destruction is told back up where, where saltiness begins to slow down whatever social, spiritual, or moral decay would want to do something anti-gospel there. It slows it down to give more and more time 
for seeds of the gospel to be planted, right, when the saltiness of our words of the gospel get next to the saltiness of our demonstration of the gospel and our deeds, powerful things happen. I walked home the other day, and do you know that Spokane stopped me with his friends to talk to me about Jesus? To talk to me about Jesus. I thought I was supposed to talk to you about Jesus. So, friends, I'm just, I just want to get you thinking, what could your salty rhythms look like? Copy mine if you want to. It's, it ain't easy, but it's simple. That only makes sense if you're a Christian, okay? It ain't easy, but it's simple. You're just being kind. You're just allowing God to use you. You've got to spend time with him, first of all. You can't be an angry jerk, okay? Because he ain't going to use you like that, okay? Sometimes you've got to throw away your problems and your issues to see other people's problems and issues, okay? And you see, friends, get a salty rhythm. Because everybody in here, depending on if you're single, if you're married, whatever your household looks like, whatever your life situation looks like, imagine if every single family, individual, person in our body lived out a salty rhythm on a weekly basis. Can you imagine the type of things that would happen in our community? Could you imagine the slowed down process of whatever evil would otherwise happen, but because there's constantly salt making contact so that salt can make impact. Friends, it's not rocket science, but you do got to sacrifice. You do got to look at your schedule. You do got to figure out a new life rhythm because Satan would love to use you a different way. And the text actually gives a warning he actually says when the salt loses its saltiness, it's no good for anything else but to, to walk on, on your feet. You say, how do Christians lose their saltiness? They don't live out who they are. They actually, they actually, live, they actually live like atheists. <laughs> I don't believe, I believe there's a God, but I live as functionally he doesn't exist. And we begin to lose our salty flavor. And eventually when our kingdom distinctives are not popping out of our lives so that we're evident whenever we're around worldliness, what happens is we lose our salty kingdom flavor and we look like the rest of the world. We close our garages like the rest of the world. We quit talking to people for 10 more minutes like the rest of the world. We quit coming home and, and looking to, instead of looking at our neighbor on the porch and stopping to have a five-minute conversation, I ain't got time for that. I got to bring these groceries in. We don't have a salty flavor. And when that begins to happen, we lose traction and we lose impact because salt can't make impact if it doesn't make contact. And to do that, you got to be proximal with your neighbors. And so I'm just a healthy, I'm just a, a struggler trying to show another struggler where the bread's at, okay? Can I do that? All right, I got to move on. So, you are, the salt of the you are the salt of the earth. And this is the way Jesus wants to make the point clear that you are a useful tool for world renewal, but he's got another affirmation for you. Not only are you the salt of the 
earth, but you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Look there in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, actually, the word town there is actually city. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. So I don't like how the NIV puts it there because the Greek word actually, polis, actually means city. And you say, why all the fuss, Pastor K? Let me tell you why. It could look like Jesus is saying you are the light of the world and you're a city on a hill. So two metaphors. He's actually not saying that. He actually has one coherent picture in mind. Here's the picture that Jesus has in mind and the picture the disciples would have had in their mind. In the ancient world, they didn't have light bulbs, right? They didn't have LED lights. They didn't have spotlights, right? So how would they have light? Well, they would light torches. They would build fires. But they also had these little oil lamps. They were made of baked uh, clay. Circular, put the oil in, put a wick. The wick was made of flax. Light that bad boy, and you had some light. If you were in the middle of nowhere in the desert, in the ancient Near East, and there was a city miles and miles and miles and miles away from you that was built on a hill or slightly raised ground, you could see that, that city like it was right in front of you, like it was lit on fire right in front of you. You know why? Because the torches and the oil lamps and the fires would light up the night sky, penetrating the darkness with its light. Friends, it would be to us like New York City just lost power like this, except for Times Square. Imagine if all of New York City lost power in a flash and Times Square, the major entertainment and tourist hub, of New York City located in Manhattan, which takes 161 megawatts of power to light per night. They say that you could, with that amount of power, light 1.6 million light bulbs. They say that it's so power, ex powerful, experts say it's the um, enough power to register a lightning strike to a building. And friends, Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. It's as if he's walking in here and he's looking you right in the eyes and he's saying, wake up. You are the Times Square of the world. You light up not only New York City, but the entire universe. How? With your beautiful Christian life that looks like Jesus' life. You see, friends, Jesus is the supreme light of the world. Because Jesus is the one in whom we see who the one true and living God really is. He is not, no other than God in human flesh. God wrapped in humanity. God wrapped in human clothes. You see, and if we're the church, that means we're the people that have been brought into faith with Jesus. So that now the beautiful light of his life shines through us as he drives us like a vehicle all over dark places and spaces, 
to shine the beautiful light of his life, not ours, through ours to the world. You see, let me tell you a little bit about what this has looked like. Uh, This beautiful light of his life shining through ours does two things. It exposes the darkness for what it is, and it brings fresh joy. Okay, I want you to keep those two things in mind. Let me share with you how I got to see this recently. I met a guy named Abram a while back. Abram was squatting at a house not far from here on Harding. I met Abram through getting to know Marv and his family. Marv and Miss T lived two houses down from the house that Abram was squatting in. And I get to know Abram, and we're starting to, we're starting to connect more. And one day, I'm walking down the street. It's early in the morning. I always have these early morning things happen to me. Abram walks down the driveway. He says, hey, Pastor K, let me talk to you real quick. We start talking, and he tells me that this altercation happened in his house a couple nights ago, and he was in jail for the last two days. He got slammed on the ground by an officer. He already had a broken, uh, broken arm because he was trying to fix his car and got his arm stuck and broke his arm. And so during that altercation, I guess what happened was the officer tried to pull that arm behind his back. So it looked as if he was trying to wrestle and fight the officer, when in reality he was just trying to say, my arm is broke, my arm is broke. You're going to break my arm. And so he ends up getting charged with assaulting an officer. So I hear the story. I say, okay. Didn't have enough time to think about this, but here's what's going on. I can't be light by myself. Got to go find some other light. So who do I call? Ghost, bust. No, I'm just kidding. I call Jonathan Demers because he's got some legal training, right? And so Jonathan, he says, look, Kev, I don't practice in that area, but I don't practice in that uh, category of law, but here's some practicals that you can do that any lawyer would tell you. So I said, okay, bet. So I take his advice, right, because we ain't too good for advice. Feel me, family? So we ta- I take his advice, and I start running with it. And I said, okay, God, please use me as a gospel advocate with Abram, okay? So I'm, God's helping me navigate this stuff. I go to the first court case with Abram, and we meet Wendy, his assigned attorney. And at first, it was straight-up hostility. I mean, you could just feel it. She was mean, rude. I was wondering, how is this going to go? I'm whispering to the Lord in my heart, please help me, help us. Abram couldn't explain himself because he was nervous. So I wanted to give him an opportunity. Once I found that it wasn't happening, I cut in and I said, hey, excuse me, ma'am. Abram is a good, a good, a good man. He lives on my block. We're good friends. I happen to be one of his pastors. He also has another pastor named Leon Stevenson. Had to drop your name. And, and, ma'am. We're just trying to do what we can to support our brother here, okay? Could you help us? The whole thing changed. The whole thing changed. She started not working against us, but working for us. You feel me? And so next thing you know, as the months go on, she's able to highlight 
that this was a legal police procedure because you can't pull a broken arm behind someone's back. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I just know that's against policy. And this was a cop that just begun their work, and this was their first altercation, and apparently they didn't know that. And in the heat of the moment, that's what they tried. He got charged, you know, another black man gets charged with assaulting an officer, right, because he's scared. You're scaring the life out of me. Just tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. You feel me? Like, it's it's true. Like, like if that happens to me, no, that doesn't happen to me. You know why? Because I'm me. Okay? That happened to Abram because Abram's Abram. A black man in the hood at the wrong time. So he gets slammed on the ground. It's a bad, it, it, it's, it's deemed against policy. And guess what? All the charges are dropped. And Abram's released. He knew the joy of having an advocate, somebody that cares about me, somebody that will risk it for me maybe, somebody that will give up their time for me because my dad wouldn't and didn't and couldn't and didn't feel like it. And friends, Abram's just one man in our neighborhood. Okay, I, I used to go to high school with 50 Abrams and run with all of them and did the dirt they did and never got in trouble like they did because I was the white boy in the hood and it couldn't figure me out. But friends, Abram was falsely charged, false charges, he's released. And friends, I just want to show you and highlight what happens when light comes in. When light comes in, it exposes the darkness for what it is. And the darkness in that situation was injustice. And a little bit of light had to shine on it so that injustice could be shown for what it is. Nasty-looking injustice. But friends, that's not all because there was also joy that was, that was how is there joy in this situation when I've been falsely accused? Charges dropped. Friends, the entire time I got to pray with Abram, I got to share the gospel with him countless times, telling him why I'm loving you this way. It's because I believe this. I believe in this God, and this God is, is the God I want you to know. And I didn't get to see Abram come to know the Lord in saving faith, but I did get to plant some nuggets of truth in his heart. And Lord willing, God will, will send others, and, and they'll begin to water, but God will give the increase. Amen? And friends, that's what happens when light shows up. Light shows up and does some things that you can't do on your own because King Jesus has to shine his life through you. Friends, the Lord was giving me some, some I didn't even have legal training, and I was saying some stuff, just knowing what I'm talking about, and, and leaving going, I don't know what I was saying, but, it, man, it was on point because she was like, yes, sir. You feel me? Because... Gospel light comes and brings gospel wisdom. And friends, I just, I just want to go out of my way this morning to excite you. Because this isn't just a dusty old text. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Where King Jesus is announcing his kingdom has arrived. And you're going to miss out on it if you don't hear me. 
And those who hear me, hear me by faith because you can't see the kingdom unless you have faith. And if you don't know the Lord, you're not in the kingdom. I'm sorry. You're not in the kingdom and it grieves me. You don't know Jesus and you might think you do, but you don't. Not in the kingdom. Because you got to have eyes of faith to see King Jesus, the king of the kingdom, and actually hear his call to you. And I pray you hear his call. I pray you come into the kingdom. I pray somebody from Mac Avenue Community Church follows up with you left and right and annoys you and keeps on you because they just want to see you in the kingdom. Friends, I'm just a fellow struggler trying to show you where the bread's at, right? I got a title of pastor, but you know what? I got to spend time with King Jesus every day to have the excitement and joy I need in me. And you do too. So, friends, I'm going to land the plane with this. Marv and Miss T. Marv and Miss T have become such a delight to Monica and I. We spent, la- we spent Fourth of July with them, and we spent Labor Day with them. And, friends, I didn't know Marv. Marv didn't know me. I'm just a boy from, from Chicago. He grew up in Alabama, made it to Detroit. Never should have crossed paths except for God, right? I didn't know I was going to live on Harding. I didn't know Marv was going to live on Harding, and I was going to meet a guy named Marv and Miss T at, 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 at the age I'm at, 38 years old, pastoring. I didn't know I was going to be in Detroit. I don't know where I'm going to be half the time. But, friends, I do know this. In this season, I was supposed to meet Marv and Miss T. And, friends, we've been partying Christian partying, okay, all right, with Marv and Miss T. And since we've been doing that, friends, I'm sitting there the other day watching and seeing how all the kids are playing in the yard. I mean, it was like otherworldly. It was like the time stopped in a new atmosphere because the umbrella of King Jesus' rule and reign came over it and said, I'm pushing back whatever death, destruction wants to do something, anti-gospel here. I'm shining light through this situation because I, I'm telling darkness, you got to roll. You can't be here. You ain't got, you, you, you outwore your stay, okay? You got to go. And friends, in the middle of this time, I play a song. And the song was a Christian rapper who was in the streets and got shot and, and was, he had real ops. He had real opposition following him. He was, he was gang activity from head to toe. He was really about that life. And a young man named Jalen's sitting there. And Jalen thinks he's about that life. Okay, he's got a backpack full of weed on him. Who knows what else? Going house to house. I get to know Jalen through Marv. And we're talking And this song comes on, and it reminds him of a rapper in Detroit. And he said, hey, is that so-and-so? I said, no, that's Emmanuel the prophet. You don't know nothing about that. Let me play this other song. And in the whole song, he shared the gospel in street language that he could understand. You see, friends, that's what happens when salt comes. That's what happens when light comes. That's what happens when you put yourself in a spot where you're willing to be used. And friends, Jalen got to hear the gospel in a way that I don't believe he's ever heard it before. 
And who knows what God's going to do with that. But who cares? It's not up for you to bring the fruit because that's what God does. You're just a fellow person coming along being used of God. Amen? And so let me tell you loud and proud, like we began, you are King Jesus' useful tool for world renewal. Because you're not only the salt of the earth, beloved, smile, you're the light of the world. Amen? So go out and be salty and go out and shine your light because we got a harvest party coming out. And you know what is going to happen? God's going to slow down time, okay? That's what it feels like. This shouldn't be happening on this block. That lot was once all blight. It'll be all joy on the harvest party, amen? Because when the gospel comes, there's abundance. And that's where we're going to be. Don't miss it. Hit the block with flyers. Whatever you can do, want to get as many people out here as possible so that time can slow down for a moment and light can shine through the truth of the gospel. Amen? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for... Thank you for making us something useful. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you that we are your people. That we once were not a people. We once were worthless, Lord. We didn't even know we were image bearers. We didn't even know our, our inherent value or worth until you showed us, God. Until you came and redeemed us. Until you came and redeemed us and transformed us into a vessel of redemption for others. Lord, we are grateful. We pray that you would ignite a, a, a fire in us, Lord, that cannot and would not be put out. Because you would be its fire. You would be the light, Lord. You would be the salt. And we would connect with you, and through you, we would be salt and light to the world. We love you and we praise you, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.